Well, welcome. Welcome to City Life. Obviously, that's a big announcement. There's a, it was a long announcement with a lot of details. So I would just encourage if you got any questions, uh, anything that maybe you're confused about, you didn't hear right or, or something, anything, we're here after service. Feel free to grab myself, Nate, people from the regional team, Steph. If you got questions, ask us. Uh, but tonight, you may have to catch me outside because uh, the weather's pretty incredible today. Catch me outside, literally. Uh, the summer weather has arrived. Uh, this weekend, I unpacked my shorts for the first time. Like, you know, they've been tucked away. And I'm like, I pulled them all out so I could have them. Tank tops, I keep them around year long because I just hate sleeves, right? So I don't know, though, if there's something like a favorite summer outfit that you've been able to pull out or you get excited to pull your shorts out or flip-flops, whatever. But there is a, a, a new trend coming in summer fashion. I don't, I don't know if you saw this. It actually went viral this week, and it is uh, uh, male rompers, romp hymns. If, if I may, um, I heard about, I don't know what day it was, Wednesday or Thursday, and I was like, this, could you be serious, right? Like, is this for real? So, of course, the first thing I did is, like, Googled. I, I thought about snoping it, you know, the, art, the website where you're like, is this for real? And, and I Googled it, and there were three headlines. And they were from, like, Good Morning America, Esquire. Like, this wasn't just some random websites trying to sell rompers. And these were the three headline titles. Why rompers are the ultimate bro garment. Our rompers for men, the new summer outfit. And then the third headline, the one I can relate to the most, the bro romper exists and I don't want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> and there are about 47 rabbit trails I could go on from here, but I, my filter would be trying to catch so many sarcastic comments that I black out. So I'll just leave it at, at this because, hey, if you want to come as you were, come as you are church, Saturday night church, you want to show up next week in a romper, more power to you. However, for me and my house, we're going to leave the rompers to the toddlers it was designed for, like this cute little guy, right? He, he can, no, not those cute little guys. This cute little guy, right? He can rock a romper. He'll probably be the only person you'll be seeing in my house uh, wearing a romper. But I, I, I talk about that because I'm like, yeah, we should leave that to the toddlers. But I want to talk about something tonight that we leave in our childhood and we leave to our, 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 our years as a, as a kid that we shouldn't. See, as cute as that face is, right, Raja's face Man, he can get a little rough around naps and nighttime, right? Uh, putting him to bed is like a declaration of war. And uh, just this week, he began to find that, hey, if I really, like, push my abdominal region when I'm shouting, I can hit some high decibel levels. Like, he found out how to yell. So you can imagine, like, putting him to bed these days is pretty fun. Like, I believe the only reason our neighbor hasn't called CPS, Child Protective Services, is she's got three kids of her own. And anybody who has kids knows that, man, sometimes to them, being put to bed, whether it's for nap or nighttime, is like the worst part of the day. Like, it can be like punishment to some kids. Like, they have fear of missing out. Like, uh, we're going to put them down and then have all the fun. And uh, like 8 p.m. As a, as a kid, it's like bedtime. <laughs> bedtime, it's still light outside, right? 8 p.m. as an adult, what time is it? Like, is it bedtime yet? Like, that's me now at 8 with Raj. It's like, is, am I still a responsible adult if I go to bed at like 8.30 or 9 o'clock? Right? Can I start going to bed? Usually that doesn't happen. But, but you know, often I laugh because kids, they, they loathe naps. <laughs> I love you, Alice Reed. <laughs> they loathe naps. We, as adults, man, we long for them. Man, and sometimes I would kill for a nap. Sometimes I see people in here as I'm preaching nodding off, and then I'm like, more power to you, right? Because sometimes we just, we just don't rest enough. 
We don't see rest in the profile of a productive adult. We see, like, the busy you are, the better you are at adulting, as people like to say. And the question we got to answer is, why don't we rest more? Not just naps, not just sleep, but why don't we find rest more? Let me just ask a question. Who gets nine hours or more of sleep a night? Nine hours or more of sleep a night? Anybody? Nobody? All right. Might? Hey. Close? Hey, respect. We'll soon find out why. In 1910, the average American slept nine hours a night. In 1910. Now, like, who gets, who would say they get seven or more hours of sleep, right? Seven or more? Who would say they get less than seven hours of sleep a night, right? So it's about half and half. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention recently found that one out of three people don't get seven hours of sleep. They get less or far less. And we'll, in a second, we'll get to why it's the Center for Disease Control that's doing that research. But many people who would say that they don't get seven hours of sleep would say, well, I don't, I don't have time for that amount of rest or that amount of sleep. But as we talk about so often with all these different spiritual disciplines, you find time for what's a priority. If, if it's not, then... I mean, maybe you've got good priorities. Steph and I are not getting seven hours of sleep because we have a toddler in our house, right? <laughs> but it, should it be a priority? The question is, should rest be a priority? Do we need to redeem the value of rest in our culture? There was an article in, in Time Magazine this February. I'm just going to read a portion of it where it says, scientists are learning that shortchanging sleep can compromise nearly every major body system, from the brain to the heart to the immune system, making our inability or unwillingness to sleep enough, or unwillingness to sleep enough, one of the unhealthiest things we can do. Studies of people whose sleep sessions are irregular or short show that they are at a higher risk of developing diseases that can lead to early death, including heart disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, and obesity. Poor sleep may have detrimental effects on the brain as well, increasing the risk of dementia, including Alzheimer's disease, as well as mood disorders like depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, and anxiety. And like smoking, a terrible diet, and not exercising enough, poor sleep is now linked to an overall increased risk of premature death. I used to suggest that sleep is the third pillar of good health, along with diet and exercise, said a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. But I don't agree with that anymore. Sleep is the single most effective thing you can do to reset your brain and body for health. And it talks about in this, in this article about how they found that, that seven hours is, is like the, the magic number for sleep. There was a, a rigorous milestone study in 2002 of more than one million healthy men and women. And they found that, that seven hours a night was, was the, the go-to number. And in Finland, a study of over 20,000 people, those who regularly were sleeping less than seven hours daily were 25% more likely to die of any cause during the study's 22-year period than those who slept more. But it's not also just about physical health. It's about, as it mentioned, mental health. There's a strong support for the idea that insufficient sleep can be a trigger for and not just a symptom of a number of these mental illnesses. And a reason why, and I find it interesting, and, and I'll get to the Bible, but this article fascinated me. And a reason why is when you're, you're sleeping, your brain is sorting and filing away memories, kind of like the movie Inside Out, right? That's happening as we're sleeping. And when a memory is filed away during sleep, it's also stripped of some of the powerful feelings like fear, grief, anger, or joy. It separates the emotional parts of memory from the objective parts. Like one scientist said, sleep is like overnight therapy. 
Now, if I could get free therapy daily, right, I would run there. I would do anything. I wouldn't have to do anything because it's free. It's free therapy. But, come on, he's talking like this is like therapy. So why do we rest less and less and take part in this less and less? And and I don't think it's because, because the drive to succeed is a new thing. People in 1910 were just as industrious as they are now. One thing I think that definitely affects it is technology. Like being a night owl when you had to do everything with a candle, right, it was a little harder than being able to flip a bunch of switches and stay up till 2 in the morning and get work done, right? So it was a little harder for them to be a night owl back then. So why do we work all night? Why are we night owls? Well, it's because our to-do list, they don't sleep. So we become workaholics. But I would tell you tonight that being a workaholic can be just as much a sin as being lazy is a sin. But, you know, in our culture, we reward workaholics. We glorify the grind. But what's ironic is that people who pride themselves in their health and would never touch a cigarette or never touch junk food or soda or they go to the gym as much as possible, they'll be the same people that might boast about how much they get done and how little they sleep at night. The rapper Nas once famously said, I don't sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. Benjamin Franklin, who's slightly more famous and well-known in this room, he said, there will be sleeping enough in the grave. Rest has long been seen as something of, of little or lesser value. But in these articles, like this Time Magazine article, we realize that we're scrambling to redeem the value that people see in rest, that rest has value. And in the church, I think we don't just need to redeem rest. In order for us to do that fully, we have to rethink rest, especially in light of how we follow Christ in the church. Again, we so often think that Man, rest is, is something for kids. Getting nine hours of sleep a night, that's something for Raj to do. I'm going to be up all night. I'm going to be working and grinding. Naps become nostalgic, right? Proper rest is a thing for times long past. And in the church, I think as well, we think that, that Sabbath rest is archaic. It's for another generation. You know, we aren't under the law. We're under grace. So practicing this, this weekly rest, it's, you know, I don't have to do it. But I think for me, it's a question of motivation. Because I don't partake in in rest regularly and weekly so that I can be in right standing with God. I I practice regular rest so that when I come before God at the end of my days, I'm standing and I'm not crawling or broken, right? I need to take a break or I can break. I need to practice rest in my life. Again, somebody might say, well, I'm not under the law, so rest really isn't a, a priority for me. But we don't do that with the other Ten Commandments. Like, I'm not under the law anymore, so staying faithful to Steph, it's not a priority to me. Like, I'm not under the law, so, you know, staying faithful to God or him being number one and first in my life, it's not a priority to me. Or I'm not under the law, so killing somebody or not killing somebody, that's like a coin flip, whatever. It's not really a priority to me. Well, we wouldn't do that, again, with any of the other Ten Commandments. So why do we do it so quickly with rest. And I think it's because all those other commandments, like killing people, stealing, that's frowned upon in the church and outside the church. But again, outside the church and inside the church, we can celebrate uh, just working hard in such a way that we become workaholics and we don't rest. But it, rest is one of the 12 pathways, which are just 12 disciplines we champion here at City Life because it's so often a forgotten discipline, so often the forgotten commandment. And like the rest of the commandments and like the rest of the pathways, they aren't uh, some punishment where we miss out on life if we obey them. They're a part of the prize. They're part of walking in full life-giving relationship with God. The commandment for Sabbath rest, it wasn't a rule to 
restrict us. It wasn't a law to limit us. It was a, a law set in place to liberate us so we could experience the life that God has for us. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. It's one of my favorite quotes about the Sabbath and just rest in general. He says this, that the giving of the Sabbath law was not meant to be a burden. In fact, the Sabbath was to reflect God's compassion for his people, as well as to emphasize the character of his holiness. But this intention was forgotten in arrogance and rebellion as legalism and traditionalism grew. The true concept of the Sabbath law was proclaimed again and again by God's prophets who stressed the covenant relationship, but people were unwilling to listen. That's what A.W. Tozer said, what Jesus said himself of the Sabbath. In Mark 2.27, a powerful verse, he says, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So you look at that quote, and I believe you look at that quote and the A.W. Tozer quote that in fear of, of becoming legalistic, in fear of, uh, of being like the Pharisees and turning rest into legalism that we can sometimes throw the baby out with the bathwater. See, we say, well, I don't need to meet that requirement. But, but again, you look at that, what Jesus said, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. And as we all so often realize in that Time Magazine article highlights, we still have the need for rest. If, if we don't rest, man, if we don't take breaks, eventually we will break. It was put in the Ten Commandments by God because rest isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. He didn't want us to get that confused. The precedent and the pattern for rest as well, it was put in place far before the law ever was handed down. God set the rhythm of rest in his original creation. It preceded the fall, it preceded the first covenant, it preceded the handing down of the law. It was a pattern set in place from the beginning, from creation. Again, God created in six days. We talked a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, about how that gives so much dignity to our work week that God did labor for six days. But then on that seventh day, he rested. It wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because he needed a nap like Raj needs a nap or I desire for a nap. He, he did it to set a pattern. The question is, will we follow God's lead? Jesus did. Usually when you say Jesus did, it's good enough for me. God the Father, though, we see he lays the pattern at the beginning and then Jesus walks in it. Jesus took the pattern that God put forth, and then he walked in it. He modeled it for us. And maybe you would say, well, I would rest more, but you don't understand the importance of my work. Well, look at Jesus. Uh, he had probably the most important work, definitely the most important work of all time, and yet he found time for rest. It's a powerful verse. It's in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, where it says, Jesus was surrounded by a crowd. I'll actually read it real fast. It's 435. It says, as evening came. Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out leaving the crowds behind. Now, these were the same crowds that no doubt had needs. These were the same crowds that no doubt needed healing, both spiritually and physically, and they might have been crying out to Jesus. But Jesus knew that he couldn't just keep going and going and going and going. He knew that, man, I need to spend time in rest. I need to spend time getting away to rest. Again, God laid out this pattern of rest. We see Jesus walking in it. So how do we do the same? Because, again, the pull is so hard towards just giving rest the stiff arm and becoming workaholics, especially in our culture. And I believe there's two principles of the pattern of rest that God has put in place that if we can embrace, we'll find it easier to make rest a regular part of our lives. And the first is the, the principle of provision. The principle of provision. Uh, Pharrell. I've now referenced Nas and Pharrell. <laughs> Pharrell, if you don't know who he is, 
if you watch The Voice, it's on like every stinking night on TV. I believe he's one of the judges, right? But he wrote a song a long time ago called Provider. It was about obviously being the provider of a family. But the video showed that the, the more this man tried to provide for his family, the more he was fracturing his family. You know, life as a, a workaholic means that even your victories at providing can sometimes look like defeats, both in your home and in your heart, because we can fall victims to just the, the working nature of our own hands. Abraham Joshua Heschel, he wrote a, a great book called The Sabbath. I'd recommend it. It's short. I think it's less than 100 pages. But he says the Sabbath is a day in which we abandon our plebeian pursuits. It also has words like plebeian in it. And we reclaim our authentic state in which we may partake of a blessedness in which we are what we are. Regardless of whether we are learned or not, or whether our career is a success or a failure, it's a day of independence of social conditions. All week we may ponder and worry about whether we are rich or poor, whether we succeed or fail in our occupations, whether we accomplish or fall short of reaching our goals, but who could feel stressed when gazing at the spectral glimpses of eternity except to feel startled at the vanity of being so distressed. It's a powerful statement. Again, for Raj, I think the reason he fights naps and sleep is he's got this fear of missing out. Like as soon as he goes to sleep, we're going to take all the good bananas out of the pantry and eat them because that's like his favorite food. As soon as we go to sleep, there's going to be like a puppy parade where we're going to have a bunch of puppies that we've kept in the garage out of his reach. Like he just has this idea that, man, once, once I go to sleep, especially when it's light out in the middle of the day for his nap, he's like, as soon as I go down, you guys are going to do all the cool stuff. Now, we might not think that, but I think, man, even for myself, I, I lay my head down and I think, am I, if, I, if I rest right now, am I going to drop a ball? Like, will I miss an opportunity? Will I fail to maximize my time? But as we look at this Abraham Heschel quote, we realize that when we fix our gaze on eternity, we find permission to rest our eyes. When we fix our gaze on eternity, we find permission to rest our weary eyes. Uh, Paul highlights this fact in Acts 17, just speaking of God. and It's in Acts 17, verses 24 through 25, where Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Let's go through that list one more time. Life and breath and everything. Doesn't leave anything out. God is the ultimate provider. And when we have that perspective, we will allow ourselves to rest. You know somebody who had that perspective was Adam. First human created, right? He's created on the sixth day. Now think about that for a minute. What happened on the seventh day? Rest. So Adam, he wakes up to a day off. Adam's first responsibility on earth is to rest in God the creator and what he had provided for him. Very first thing Adam was called to do in life was to rest. The lesson to be learned by man at the very beginning of creation is, hey, the world has been created and it will still survive when we rest. Perhaps it's for this reason that the, on the Jewish calendar, days start at sundown. If you look at the calendar, it's not just the holidays, it's every day. It, it begins when the sun sets. Again, you think about that. That means every day, you might putter around for a little bit, of get, but again, when you, all you got is a candle, you're probably going to go to sleep. So the first thing you do most days is you rest. You rest in God's provision and sovereignty before you ever get to work. So you wake up with the weight of carrying the world off of your shoulders. You know, our, our problems begin when we begin to walk in this perspective 
that it's, it's all about us, that the world begins when we wake up, that we become our own providers by the jobs we have and the, and the relationships we have. And there's some truth to that. But again, God wants us to know that he is the ultimate provider, that he is the one that gives us all we need and without him we can do nothing. It's like Jesus says in John 15, 5, I'm the, van, the vine, you're the branches. If you don't rest in me, if you don't rest in the vine, you'll, you'll never bear fruit. But Jesus came. And he died and he rose. And I can find peace and provision in that. You know, I, I know every day that Jesus died for my wife. Jesus died for my son. So Jesus died for my home. Jesus died for each one of you. So Jesus died for my church. So that I need to realize when I manage my schedule to serve each one of those things, I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need to work myself to death for these things. Jesus already died for them. And he's given the ultimate provision for each one. You know, when we rest from working, it makes a statement. It's a statement that says, God, you are my ultimate provider. You hold the world together, not me. You don't need me, but I desperately need you. So in faith and in trust, I rest. It's the principle of provision, just recognizing that God is our ultimate provider. And the second principle, just to hit on briefly tonight, is just this principle of plugging in. It's a powerful verse in Luke 5, 16, again, looking at the life of Jesus where it says the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Again, he's surrounded by potential work he, and he withdrew to lonely places. And this time he doesn't sleep. So what's he doing? Is he checking his social network on his phone? Is he binging Netflix and chilling? Is he, what is he doing? No, he, he unplugs to pray. He unplugs to plug in. I think so often we see rest as unplugging, leisure, a day of avoiding anything. And partially it is that. you, you got to unplug from the world. But it's at the core of what we need to rethink about rest, that lots of free time and leisure will only give you a portion of the rest that God wants to give you. Sabbath rest and, and, and the rest God calls us to, it's more than stopping. Jesus realized that effective rest, it doesn't just unplug from the, the grind, it, it plugs into God. In Abraham Heschel's book, again, he says that manuha, this word which we usually render with rest, it's spelled M-E-N-U-H-A. It means much more than a withdrawal from labor and exertion, more than freedom from toil, strain, or activity of any kind. Manuha is not a negative concept, but something real and intrinsically positive. Rest is more than this negative concept of unplugging. It's a positive act of plugging in. It's not passive it's active. And because of that, you, you can do rest wrong. Like, leisure is good. Leisure is great. It comes from a good God. Jesus loved boating. Jesus took a nap on a boat in, Matt, in that book, verse from Mark we just read. Like, he went out on a boat. I'm sure he enjoyed it, and then he fell asleep, right? He loved leisure. But lots of free time and leisure, again, it'll only give you a portion of the rest that God wants to give us. The, the leisure that I that our culture champions and the leisure that, and the rest that God calls us to, they're, they're very different things. You know, America, by most measures, spends far more than the rest of the world on leisure. Cruises, uh, escaping for vacations, just leisure in general. And yet we are, by all measures, the most burnt out. George MacDonald, uh, he, he has a quote where he says, leisure and amusement may be enjoyable, but they are to the private world of the individual like cotton candy to the digestive system. They provide a momentary lift, but they will not last. Again, it's good, but it's just a portion of the rest that God wants to give us. 
Again, our culture that, that is, is champions of leisure and yet frayed at the seams shows us again and again that you can do rest wrong. And the cost is high. Another Abraham Heschel quote about rest is that labor without dignity is the cause of misery, but rest without spirit is the source of depravity. It's a powerful quote because you see it in the Bible in, in 2 Samuel 11. You see it with David and Bathsheba. David was tired. He was beat. And he stayed at home rather than going to war. And I believe if he stayed at home and, and he spent time in worship and writing psalms and songs that maybe we'd have never even heard about it. Like, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But instead, we see he spirals into this cycle of adultery, lying, murder, and alike. We see that David, giving himself to leisure, yet finding himself losing battles left and right spiritually. It shows us that we can do rest wrong. And what's that risk? A lot. David resting wrong had tragic results because when you're tired, you undervalue what you have, your job, your family, your future. When you're tired, you lose your vision. You focus entirely on what's right now. When you're tired, non-negotiables become negotiable and you compromise. See, rest done right is active, not passive. From that, that uh, article in Time Magazine, there was a sleep scientist that said sleep is not just a passive state, but a fairly active state on the molecular level. Because this scientist, he had revealed that while the body appears to rest during rest, a whole lot is happening inside the brain. Neurons pulse with electrical signals that wash over the brain in a rhythmic flow, and the brain runs checks on itself to ensure that the balance of hormones, enzymes, and proteins isn't too far off kilter. All the while, the brain cells contract, opening up the spaces between them so that the fluid can wash out the toxins that can cause all kinds of problems if they build up. God the Creator is pretty cool. <laughs> He said it's like a dishwasher that keeps flushing through, through to wash the dirt away. And if sleep is active on the molecular level, I believe you could also say that, that rest is not just a passive state, but a fairly active state on a spiritual level. But you got to ask, what does active rest look like? What are we plugging into? And, and just to close, I want to look at the pattern set by God and then what we see lived by Jesus in terms of rest. Now, the pattern set by God, we see in Genesis 3, 2, where it says, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. That word holy, it means set apart. It means different. And it's, I find it interesting that the first holy thing that God marked, it wasn't a place, the tabernacle and the temple, they didn't come for some time. It wasn't, it wasn't an object, but it was a period in time that God marked as holy. That should be different than the rest. You know, when we're actively resting, our perspective shifts. Our perspective shifts from controlling to sharing. It shifts from having to being, from utilizing things to celebrating things, from standing constantly in evaluation, which we're called to do at work, to being able to just stand in awe of the things that God has created. You know, when you set apart the Sabbath, it, you get this different perspective. It becomes holy, this part of a pattern established by God. You become, I'd imagine this is what Adam felt like on that seventh day. <laughs> he's just standing in awe. He's celebrating. He's sharing. He's just simply being because he hadn't yet begun to work. It's a pattern set by God, but then it's a pattern lived by Jesus where we see Jesus walk in rest. And when we consider the work that Jesus did and the, the way he paced it with rest, it should give us a perspective about rest, a new perspective. Because I think often we see rest as something we do when our work is done. But rest was pursued by Jesus before some of his most powerful and active moments. There's a great quote by Abe Lincoln. 
Or he said, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. We don't rest because our work is done. We rest because we realize the reality of Ecclesiastes 10.10, where it says using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. You know, we don't rest because our work is done. We rest because if we don't rest, we'll never be at our best. We, we rest because we can't do our work well if we don't. Every day we wake up, we wake up to a great commission that starts with go. Go. And I think sometimes when we don't rest or we forsake rest, that when the spirit prompts us to move and God calls us to go, our body can simply answer no because it's tired. You know, hurry and a hectic pace can kill everything from creativity to compassion. You read the Gospels and a whole lot of Jesus' ministry was, was off the cuff. It was, it was unplanned. It was Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus feeding 5,000. But he had strength and focus for those moments because he valued rest. Hebrews 12, I want to look at to close. Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now when you look at that word weary, it means discouraged in your soul and faint in your mind. You look it up in Strong's Concordance in the Greek, it, it means to be unhappy in your soul and in your mind. You know, it's possible, and you've no doubt experienced this, that you can practice leisure and then come out of it as weary and unsettled in your mind as you did before. You can take a nap and still wake up stressed. You can go on a seven-day cruise and still come back stressed out about the same situations. Because rest isn't a, a way that you get fully recharged unless you're plugging into the source. So how do you not grow weary? In this passage, it says, go over what Jesus did. In the message version, it says, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. <laughs> if you're too busy for rest, you're too busy. When you consider what Jesus did, you'll find even he rested. If you follow Jesus, you'll rest. If you give yourself to being a workaholic, you won't. And what's on the line? A lot. Because the world needs rested Christians. This same passage that starts with the analogy of this race, it says in verse 12, it says, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. You know, sometimes the way to find strength is rest. Sometimes the way to sharpen your axe is rest. Sometimes the way to speed up God's work in you is to slow down and remember that he's God. To be still and know that he is God. We can't live lives of perpetual output. We need to find ways to have the right input. We need to do rest right. You know, if I could have the, the worship team come up. Just close with this thought. When we were uh, t preaching about stewardship maybe a month or a little over a month ago, uh, there was just this thought that one day we all will stand before God. And, you know, when I think about stewarding my body and what I put in it or what I do with it, you know, I want to know that if I do this, I'm, I'm going to not show up before God early. Right? I don't want to come before God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. But if you would have stewarded your body a little better, you had five, ten more years of fruitful service to do. I don't want to hear that. And yet if you read Time Magazine's article, it would tell me that if I'm not resting, if I'm not cherishing rest that God calls me to, then I could very well end up before God 
before I'm supposed to. That phrase, premature death, that's a pretty heavy one that was in that time article. I don't want to hear God say, well, well done, good and faithful servant. But, man, if you just would have championed rest, practiced rest, man, there was another five, ten years of fruitful service. You ran a sprint when God's called us to run a marathon. He's called us to pace ourselves. You know, our, our first marathon I ever ran, I went out way too fast. <laughs> Second marathon I ran, I understood, hey, I got to pace myself so that at the end I'm still running I'm not crawling. Again, am I under the law? No. But I don't practice rest so that I can be in right standing before God. I practice it so I can stand before God at the end of days and not be crawling across that finish line, not be broken before him. Mark Batterson has a great quote. He says, you can do the work of God at a pace that destroys the work of God in you. You can do the work of God at a pace that destroys the work of God in you. You know, many will stand before God, I believe, and they'll say, man, didn't we, you know, like the list in Matthew, didn't we cast out demons and prophesy in your name and perform miracles and, and do all these things? And I believe God will lovingly say, you know, before he embraces us, yes, you did all of that. But I don't want to hear him say either, but I didn't get to do all I wanted to do in you because you wouldn't slow down enough, long enough to rest and listen and receive. We don't rest We'll never be at our best. And it's not just regarding the work we do. It's regarding the work that God wants to do in us. You know, Bill Heibel, just to be practical and to drive this home for each one of us, he, he wrote a book called Leadership Axioms. And each chapter was just a couple pages, and it, and it gave just an idea as a leader that you should champion. And one spoke to me because uh, my life as a pastor, maybe you can relate. Like, maybe for your job, you're like, man, my work is never done. You know, I never really clock out. My, my job is never really finished. And I feel you. Ministry is about people. Like we say all the time, people aren't, they're not projects. They're not products. And that means that people are always progressing. Right? There's always hope for a person. There's always more encouragement. I could send a person. There's always another appointment I could set up with a person. But, but Bill Hybel's axiom was simple. Create your own finish lines. Create finish lines. For me, when I read that, it meant, man, we got a kid now. I need a finish line in my day. It's like, all right, I'm putting my phone away. I'm going to stop checking my email. It's just me and Raj and Steph. I, I need a finish line. Maybe that's not practical for you. Whatever. But we can find a way to work these finish lines into our life. An annual finish line, a vacation, a staycation, whatever it may be. But God realizes we needed finish lines. He gave us a weekly finish line. He gifted us one in Scripture to take a break from a life of perpetual output and to find the right input to plug into rest that's only found in him. So if we could stand, I just want to find rest in worship because we worship God for who he is. And, and it says in scripture that he's Jehovah Jireh. He's God, our provider. I pray that tonight, man, even as we, in the worship set when we started and, and now that, that God will give us a peace beyond understanding that comes from knowing that he's our provider that he's provided a path to not just walk out our purpose, but to refuel and to plug in. So God, tonight, just before we leave, before we step out to the work you have for us, the purpose you have for us in this region, to not just work practically, but to reach people and, and, and reach the Bartimaeuses you put around us and reach the Zacchaeuses you put around us. God, tonight we rest in you. We, we be still and recognize that you're God. And because of that, Lord God, we worship you in this moment and we praise you. Come on, we're going to sing uh, when you walk into the room, God. And I pray that as you impact us here tonight, God, you would give us a new perspective. God, you would give us a new peace, God, and a new rest 
that comes from knowing, God, that you are a provider and you give us purpose to walk in. God, we praise you tonight. share a meal together as friends and I, I love that he knocks that God's a gentleman in that way you know when, after he resurrected the disciples were hiding in a room and he just popped you know pow went through a door and showed up but come on there are moments where he knocks and he waits for us to respond and he, he woos us and he, and, he, and he just invites us into relationship and, and if you've never opened the door to God in your life you've never opened up the door of your heart to say God I, I want to pursue you all my days I want you to be king and lord over my life Jesus I want to follow you then, man, let tonight be that night. Come on, if that's you tonight, then I would just encourage you. When we break in a couple moments, I'm going to be right here. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to give you a resource to walk that out, that relationship with God that we, we all find so much life in. But you know what? That, that verse in Revelation 3 was written to the church. It wasn't written to people that were lost. It was a reminder to a church that had become wayward that, hey, God invites us every day into relationship with him. God, God invites us every day, every week into communion with him, to know him deeper, to follow him closer. And God, tonight, I don't know what for, for you guys is, is blocking that door. I don't know what, what is keeping you from that door. But God, I pray that we would lay down our doubts. We would lay down our discouragement. God, we would lay down our apathy. And, and Lord God, that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation as David prayed in Psalm 51. And I don't know if that's you. You know, there's something, a habit, a sin issue, or just, again, apathy, or you just feel lukewarm or cold towards God, then, man, I, again, I would love to pray for you. But God, I pray that you would bless and keep each person here. God, I thank you, God, that you made and created the world and you set forth a pattern where, where every week there's an invitation to meet with you. And God, we know that's just a bigger pattern of every moment. There's an invitation to come into your presence and rest in who you are. God, tonight we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are our provider. You're the ultimate provider. Jesus, we thank you that you provided your very life on the cross so that we could have relationship with God. 
And God, again, I pray that anything that's holding us back or hindering us, God, will be removed in the name of Jesus. God, and that this week we would have a, a clearer vision. God, we would have a deeper sense of purpose. God, and we would feel your presence in new ways as we pursue you and pursue the purpose you've given us in this region, at our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our families, with our spouses. God, wherever we are, God, we thank you that you go with us. God, your hand covers us. It holds us. God, and I pray that that would just spark an enthusiasm to go out and do what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Or if you need prayer for anything, again, I'm here. My wife is here. But if you need to go, God bless you. Take care. We'll see you next week.